Greetings to you, all in the name and in the power of the Lord Jesus. I've been on a little journey, and I'm just going to share that with you, because I'll tell you right now that the format is going to be clear different today than what it's been. I stand before you right now in utter weakness. About yesterday afternoon, the Lord started laying on my heart to change my approach today. He said, Larry, I don't know how you hear God talk to you, but I'm learning to listen. I want you to change your approach. And that is, I want you to do like the apostle did when he said, we've got 10,000 instructors in Christ. We don't have very many fathers. He says, I want you to be a father tomorrow. I said, okay, I'll do that. So last night, I was attempting, I'm like Kurt, I have some basic stuff I bring here, but after hours is kind of my time in early mornings to try to just put it all together, and that's a real struggle for me. I, I wrestle with God when I preach just at that spot right there. So last night I was trying to formulate some stuff, and it just wasn't going well, and, and, and actually I felt pretty good. I, Actually, last night I thought, you know, this prayer thing up here, I probably won't even need it tomorrow. Strike number one. So it just, it really wasn't going that well, so, and God started putting something else in my heart last night. He said, Larry, I don't even want you to have an outline. Now, sometimes I just got to weigh the spirits to whether is this really true or what is this. So I just went to bed. I thought, well, we'll just take up in the morning. So this morning I got up early and took my shower, and, and the Lord is just bringing some thoughts to my heart and, and so on. And, and I went into the room and started reading some scripture, and I got my my pad out that you've seen me, it's got just pages and pages and pages of notes for all this stuff. And, and, and again, I turned over a new page and I wrote the title up there and, and one subheading. And the Lord said, Larry, I don't want you to have an outline today. It's like, God, this is Bible school. You don't go and teach without something to teach. So I wrestled. I'm just going to tell you, I have cried more this morning than I have in years. You can ask Becky. Not crying.
because I'm sad, crying because I kept saying, Lord, I just can't do that. It's just not going to work. He said, Larry, that's what I want you to do. And then he brought something to my mind. He said, Larry, you remember that clean sheet of paper that Pete told you to write on? Get it out and look at it. So I did. I got my pamphlet out and I started leafing through the empty pages because I just went way back in the middle uh, to get my page. I'll just read it to you. Right here it is. That's my page. And here's what I wrote on it yesterday. I am yours, Lord Jesus. Make your will to be my will, no matter what. I just didn't know. He's going to prove me so quickly. I said, Larry, I don't want you to have an outline. So I thought, okay, well, that's fine. I won't have an outline, but I'll take my briefcase. And you've seen my briefcase. I've got books and pamphlets and, and notes and all kinds of stuff in there. And he said, no, Larry. I just want you to leave the briefcase in the room. So, okay, so I've got this, this machete that, that Joe got for me because I called ahead of time and said, if you could find a sword somewhere, so I don't know if I'm going to use it or not, but I'd just like to have one. It, it just, it's be a good visual thing. So he got this machete, it's got Haiti on it and it's in a sheath and the, and when I seen that last Friday, I thought, that's perfect. That's just great. Just for some little demonstration. So I thought this morning, well, at least I'll just take the sword. And God says, no, you just leave the sword on top of the refrigerator. I don't want you to have that either. He said, you have got this, Larry, and that's all I want you to take to Bible school this morning. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to make my will your will? Even in the last hour, some thoughts come out. I'm just going to write them down on this little piece of paper. And God said, no. Larry, I don't want you to do that either. So when I get ready to preach, my lips are dry and they're hurting right now, so I reach in my pocket to get the chapstick, and it's like, oh, I forgot, I lost my chapstick two days ago, I don't have it. So my lips are dry. And always before I get ready to preach, I always got these little Starbucks mints that I like to suck on, and most of the time it's just causing nervousness, so I just reach in my pocket a while ago, it's like, oh, I forgot to get them too. So I don't have anything. All I have is this right here. It's the Word of God. And that's where I'm at. I, I mean, I'm just going to confess to you that I've never used a marker board in preaching ever before. Ever. I am a visual person. I like visual stuff. Kind of gets me in trouble sometimes. 
But I'm just going to tell you, and I'm really being open with you right now, there's been a degree of prideful success in my heart at what God's given me. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And I'm sorry about that. That's why the Lord said, I don't want you to write anything on the board. In fact, if this so fitting of stuff wouldn't be up here, I was going to wipe this whole thing dry and clean and say, that's my outline. And that's the essence of what I've got to talk about, is just simply being empty and broken before God. But I come in this morning and says, He is not a fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And then I see someone else wrote down here, and I suppose you've all seen that. This right here. So I thought, well, I committed to fasting this morning. I thought, well, I'll just, I did want to meet the devotions, and of course you know what the devotions were. Really just the power of God. Just washed my soul so much. And I thought, well, I'll just go back to the room. And I got intercepted. Thank you, Lord. He says, I've got yet something else for you, Larry. Thank you, young people. A group of you came and just washed our feet. Back in our feet this morning and prayed with us. You don't even know what that did for me. For a man who's just trying to get past his own will and crucify his own flesh. God said, Larry, there's no sense in teaching something if you can't demonstrate it. When this session's done, and you look at your notes, that's my outline. Okay? Whatever it is, whatever the word the Lord has spoken to your heart, and you write down, that'll be the outline for the day. I would like to go to 1 Corinthians 4 and just read a couple verses. And we are going to talk about spiritual warfare, but. It might be in a little different context than what you may have thought it may be. And we're just going to start reading it at verse 9, I guess. I don't know where to break in here. For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles' last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. I want you to notice this is an older man here talking. And really what this is doing is expressing my heart this morning. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. 
We are weak, but you are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even under this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place, empty, nothing. And labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the off-scouring of all things unto this day. It's a picture of warfare. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I just want to warn you. For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, Yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. That's what we're even going to change the soldier format today. And we're going to go to children. The whole context of my series of topics takes a great big change today. We've been looking at big stuff and cosmic stuff and great monumental truths and and deep things. But today, children, it comes down to you. It gets very, very personal now. This isn't theological. This isn't debate, debateful. This is real. This is where all of the last three days comes down to settle in to how is it going to affect you while you're living your life. And I want to tell you something, Pete. I appreciate you talking about the fear and, and, and even in the context of Seattle, but I want to tell you, children, Seattle isn't your worst enemy. In a few hours, it'll be over with. We're not here preparing for Seattle. In a few hours of evangelism, we're here preparing for life. I want to tell you something, children. The enemy is not dead. Even though there was a lightning streak that went through him, and his essence and his power and his works are destroyed. If you'll notice, the illustration I give you was that the tractor was still there. The truth of his being destroyed is this. The shaft is unhooked. We covered that yesterday. And the other truth of that is his fate is sealed. Clearly says it in the Scripture. It says there is a lake of fire that is prepared 
for the devil and his angels. That's what it was prepared for. It wasn't prepared for human beings. And the Bible says back in, in Revelations that that is where Lucifer, the devil, Satan, is going to end up. Period. His cause and his faith is sealed today. And he knows it. But he's not dead yet. Children, he is not dead yet. I love every one of you. I, I just amazes me how quick. And, and most of you I already know. Some of you I don't. Some of you I've never even met before. Like Abigail. We did meet, shook hands the other day. But it's amazing to me how quickly our hearts get all wrapped around you and our, our, our care for you and your lives just become real to us. And our burden just grows and grows for you. Because this is warfare. And like I share with you, my heart says that all hell is going to be breaking loose. I care about you. You are a generation. That is coming on. That is going to have to pick up the banner. Maybe we've kind of let it fall, like Kurt said. And someone's got to rush in and pick that thing back up. And keep that banner flying. In this ugly, sin-cursed world. It's going to be you. We're going to go to Ephesians 6 eventually, but we're not going to spend a lot of time there. I would like to go to Ephesians 1, and Willick touched on this this morning. I've just, I've just got a lot of things in my heart that I would just like to share, and I don't know how it's all going to come out. I'm not even sure what all it's going to be. But just as a father, I just want to talk to you children. Jesus' description of when He sent the disciples out, He says, I'm going to send you out like you're in a pack of wolves. And that's just what it is. This is serious. Even though Jesus Christ reigns, and He is conqueror, and He is victorious, it comes down to settle in your heart. What are you going to do about it? I want to encourage you. And I tell you, Ephesians 1, a, a passage in here has just been blessing my heart for probably two years. I've preached from this several times. And, and it just keeps speaking to my heart like it never has before. And I just want to share it with you. Now, as, as, we, as we now have all that we had in the past, and, and, and we've seen that, that our circle was in that great big circle called the church. And that's us. That's you. But you'll notice that Satan was attacking the church and, and that's where we're existing. It's warfare. It's warfare. And the battle isn't uh, oh, 
His fate is sealed, but the battle's still real. We told you yesterday we was going to come back here, and Willie went here a little bit this morning, and I just loved it. It was great. So we're going to go back here. Ephesians chapter 1. We just want to start reading at verse 15. I don't know, I forget where Willie started reading, but this is a prayer of Paul for the church. And it's such a blessing. And it starts at verse 15, it's one sentence, clear to the end of the chapter. It just drives me nuts. It just, it does. I like things broke up into compartments, and these rambling sentences just kind of get me confused sometimes. But anyways, there's a theme here, there's a thought here. And, and, um, Paul says, you know, after I heard of your faith and your love, and that's you, uh, that's you, uh, children. You know, you've, you've established faith. You've, you've made a step there. He says, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, and that's my heart. I just want to pray for you. I want to care for you. And that was Paul's heart too. Uh, and, and he had some specific things here that he wanted to pray uh, about for his children. And that was that, <clears throat> that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, we're in verse 17, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. What he's saying is, I just desire... That you will grow. That, that, that knowledge of Him will increase and turn into wisdom. And, and that, that there will even be revelation. And we may talk about that a little bit more after a while. But what he's saying is, as you start growing, and this has been my experience, that as we grow and, and, and walk the walk, things kind of start coming clear sometimes. Things start... I don't think... I, I, I believe that God does not have any new revelation to give to humanity. But I do believe that He leads us into greater revelation of what He's already given us. So if you're out here, children, looking for some new, amazing revelation... The door is open to the enemy. Be careful. He has given us His Word. He's given us His heart. He's given us everything needed for salvation right here. But, Brother Joe said the other day as we was coming back from the airport, I think he was quoting someone else, but we all hardly concurred. It seems like the more you know, it's just like the more you realize you don't know. And that's the truth. That's why older men just say, I feel like I don't know as much as I used to. And I can relate to that. It's not that we've lost knowledge. It's just that the more you know, the more you realize there's so much more to know. Go on. That the Lord, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. More language is the very same thing. So I just, I just want uh, 
more enlightenment to come to you. Just to learn more about the truths of God's Word. Um, and there's, there's basically three things that he concludes with, and we're going to jump down to the third one just like uh, Willie did today. <clears throat> he says, that ye may know, and then there's three different whats. What is the hope of your calling? What is the riches of the glory of the inheritance of the saints? Those are two things. But we want to go into the third what, which is in verse 19. And here it is. Now, now here's what Paul's saying. And here's what I want to portray to you, children. My desire is that your understanding and even a greater revelation, maybe even a greater enlightenment of this coming truth will settle into your heart. And that's this. I hope that you'll understand better what is the exceeding... I want you to notice this language. The exceeding greatness of His power to usward. I want you to notice this language. There is an exceeding great power that is to us or toward us or toward you. You. And here's what it is. You who believe, and that power is in accord with, it runs along the same lines of, it is empowered by the same power of, the working of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ Jesus when He raised Him from the dead. talked about that yesterday, didn't we? That Jesus had power of Himself to bring Himself alive after He was dead. And Paul is saying, children, I hope that that revelation and that enlightenment will increase in your heart. That that is real. And I want to testify as a 54-year-old man. It is real. It is necessary and it is essential because we are in battle. And you've seen what that, that resurrection did to Lucifer. It destroyed him. You know what? You're going to have to make a choice. Do I want that power or do I not? And I want to tell you this, children. Either 
You take it or you lose. The choice is yours. There's no other power and there's no other source that's going to put a lightning bolt through that ugly black star that I've been drawing on this board every day. As we covered yesterday, that power put him in a place far above all other powers. And you can read it, read it on there in a couple verses. All other powers. That's where it put Jesus. And you, you'll read on down in the second chapter here that He has set it at the right hand of God. And there it tells us that we can be seated together with Him in heavenly places. It's just, you just go through the story of Jesus, and if we're followers of Him, the promises are just the same. There's hardly any difference. It's available to us. And we must have it. If you don't, you're going to die. And I know I've told you this before, but I'm going to tell you again. Satan hates you. I have heard that with my own ears, and some of these brothers and sisters right here have heard it too. He hates you. And he only wants one thing. And it gets really real when the mouth and the voice is saying it to you. I'm going to kill you. This is real. I just want to go to Second Timothy 2 for one verse. Some of you's memory verse. What happened to Jesus before he was resurrected? Someone tell me. He died. Write that down in your books, children. He died. John Rumble, I remember him saying, he was, it was clear in another context, but I just, the words were so profound to me. In fact, he was just, since several years ago, and he was talking to a group of young families that was getting ready to move and maybe start a new church community, which never did really work out. But I just, I was kind of standing close by and he just told them, because he had just moved to Ellensburg. I don't even think he was in Zillow at that time. But he just said, there's got to be a death before there can be a, a crucifixion. There's got to be a crucifixion 
before there can be a resurrection. And those words have just burnt in my heart. If you expect to be resurrected, you're going to have to die. And that means dead. And I'm still trying to learn that. I'll just be honest with you. I wrestled with it this morning for hours. God says, I just want you to die, Larry. I said, no, God. I've got a little help that you may need for me. He said, no. I want you dead. It was like a funeral in my room this morning. I went through a whole handkerchief. I just got it out of the, the... the suitcase this morning and it's in the dirty clothes bag. Verse 1. Thou therefore, my children, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The Lord just brought that verse to my mind this morning as I was sitting there in a big mess this morning. And here's why he revealed that to me out of that. And I remember Joe Rutt talking on this uh, at annual conference a few years ago. These very verses. Literally remember that, Joe. You know, we just look at that, and children, I'm just going to, you know, you guys have zeal, you've got ego, you've got ambition, and I bless you in that. I want to help you in that. I want to be with you because the church needs that. I want to tell you it does. I don't want to squelch that. I don't want to diminish that. I don't want to throw water on that. None. I want to encourage that. Keep it up. Sometimes I get the sense. It's like, we've got grace. And we're strong. And we'll just go out there and tear it up. Be strong in the grace, son. Jesus wants you dead. I'm going to tell you what. What he spoke to me. If we're going to be strong... In the grace, we have got to be absolutely empty of ourselves. The more empty of self, the stronger the grace. And after I finally got considered of my mind, at least for a little bit this morning, that I was going to leave all my books in the room, I was not even going to make an outline, and Lord, I'm just giving it all to you. Within an hour, there was a group of young people washing my feet. Hallelujah! He always does it better. He always does it better. I want you to go to First Corinthians. Chapter 2, 
I just want to talk about sanctification a little bit, and it's going to be quite brief because Brother David talked about that a lot last last night, and Kurt talked about it again today, and and uh, I'll just be honest with you, sanctification is just one of those doctrines that's just always kind of been out there, out of my reach somehow. But I think God's been trying to pull back into my grip here a little bit uh, in the last uh, year or two or whatever it is, and and I just want to talk about that just briefly. And and I wholly, totally concur with what I've heard about it already. And Brother David spent quite a bit of time there last night. And so a little bit that's gonna be a little bit of repeat. But sanctification and here in the last part of, of chapter one, and I think David came here, uh I just want to start reading um Ah, oh, it's one of these sentences again. <clears throat> right, we'll start reading in verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, and not many noble are called. I want you to notice that. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and the things which are despised, hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. That is really powerful stuff. But as we read on here, it says, that no flesh should glory in His presence. And I'm just going to tell you, my flesh yearns for some glory. And it's right here. That's where it's at. And I'm just going to be real honest with you. I have sought a little bit of that this week. Because pride is constantly knocking on my door. Saying, let's up a little bit today. And God's heart says, No flesh shall glory in my presence. And let's read on. But of Him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption for this purpose, that as according as it is written, He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Sanctification. Set apart for a specific purpose. Is that right? I think Will was talking just the other day. There's Buddhist monks down in southern China. They're set apart. They are separated from the world. Much more than you and I are. Are they sanctified? So what's the difference? Exactly. We're going to go to Romans 1. Verse 1. Powerful, powerful description of sanctification. Romans 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. 
Children, I want you to understand this. Separation, the doctrine of separation and the doctrine of sanctification is not only what we are separated from, but more so it's what we are separated unto. We must know that. We can separate ourselves to all kinds of stuff. And we can be different. We can be the most weirdos in the world. There's probably some in Seattle. But they're not separated unto God. You must be. That's where the power lies. Latter part of chapter 2. Well, no, let's, let's read. Yeah, it's, it is the latter part of chapter 2. But um, we want to start reading in verse 9. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. I hear that, that verse quoted so, so, so many times and just stops there. It's like, oh, yes, it's out there somewhere and, and our minds can't comprehend it, so we just kind of live our life and plot along and just in the world of unknown. Bah! Where am I reading it? First yeah. Corinthians chapter two. Verse nine. Excuse me if I didn't make that clear. I hear that quote, it's just like some sort of an excuse that you know we just really don't know. But verse ten says, But God hath revealed them unto us. By His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And, and that is the work of sanctification. I think Pete talked about that last night in here, and I know David did, and probably Kurt today too. Sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit, and I would just love to talk about that a while. But somehow I get a sense that maybe we ministers have kind of dropped the ball. On, on what the Holy Spirit really is. And, and as we are justified, as we make our commitment to the Lord and we are cleansed from our sin, then we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus, or Jesus says there in Acts 1 that as He's right, when He's getting ready to leave, He said, Now you soon will be endued with power from on high which is the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus isn't here. I've never seen Him. And frankly, I've never seen God. But by faith, by faith, I believe that I am filled, like David said, from the bottom of my feet to the top of the last hair that's sticking up with the Holy Spirit. And that gives me the liberty to discern. And that's where I'm heading. That I think is so, so, so important in our day. I'm just going to skip over a few verses, I guess. We'll go to verse 14. I don't want to do that either. Let's just read on. 
For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of the man, uh, spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. I just want you to notice that. And you can go to John 14, 15, 16, and it's the spirit is a teacher. He's a he is a uh, one that helps us to learn about God and so on. And he says it's by him that we know things about God. And we read on in verse 13, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, but they are foolishness unto him. I want you to just highlight verse 14 if you want to. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. That is such... That is the burden of my heart for you. Is that there is spiritual discernment. I think it's so necessary. And I think it's a doctrine that we have dropped the ball on. And frankly, I think we've been raised in in a, a society that just kind of looked fairly loosely at this. Don't expect your church to draw enough lines to protect you. Now, I want you to understand something. And I want to be very clear about this, children. I am not throwing mud at my heritage. I appreciate my heritage. I love my heritage. And I intend to continue on with it if the Lord gives us grace to do it. And I bless all of you other ones that are here too. Be pillars in your church. But we must be discerning. Our church is no greater of a spiritual um, entity than what the spirituality of its people are. I just believe that. I'd like for you all to look at my eyes. The Bible says that the eye is where light comes in. It also says that, that as we shared earlier, that that's where 80% of the knowledge that goes into your brain comes into your eye. As you see, my eyes, they are a single eye. We want to talk about that a little bit. It's another burden on my heart. Now we have a single eye. Now I want you to look at my eyes. Janet creeps her out when I do this. Can you all see my eyes? That's called a double eye. What I've got, I've got lazy eye muscles. I've had them all my life. I deal with it. I was embarrassed about it for years and years and years and years and years. Now I don't care. You might as well just know about it. Because when I'm talking to people and they're going, they don't know who I'm talking to. I don't know if I'm talking to you or that person over there. But I can't control it. They're just weak. 
when I get tired and when I get in bright things and, and when I'm not thinking about it, one eye just kind of wanders off. I'm talking about discernment. And there's a vital part of discernment, I think, has to do with a single eye. And I'd like to turn to St. Matthew chapter 7. One thing about my eyes, as they are, <clears throat> um, if there, any of you, if you want to kind of practice how that affects me, just cover up one eye and try to do some work and some business and so on. And, and you'll soon learn that what happens is you quickly lose depth perception. I've, I've walked along uh, sometimes, and, and I've shared this before, that, that uh, um, or I'm sitting in my chair looking out the window, and I see something, and, and I don't know if it's a bug on the window or if it's an airplane way, way, way out there. So I'm looking at it, and I straighten my eyes up. It's like, oh, okay, that's what it is. Yeah, it's just a bug on the window. But I, I couldn't tell that. Um, you know, there's, there's times where um, I shared this before. I was walking through our dining room here not so long ago, and and by the dining room table, and I was just walking, all of a sudden, I thought there was a piece of material on the floor. And I went, whoa! And, and I stopped, and here it was laid on the table. So what happens is, is when your eyes don't get singly focused, all kinds of weird stuff starts happening. You, you don't have clear vision. Uh, uh, you start seeing things that aren't where you think they are, and, and there's perceptions that, that aren't perceived like you think they're perceived. And it gets a little bit confusing sometimes, when I'm driving, much of my wife's dismay because sometimes I kind of come up on cars that have stopped a little quicker than I should. Because all of a sudden I realize, whoa, I'm closer than I thought. But that's, what it, that's how it affects me, and I've learned to deal with it. What I've done, though, just for information's sake, is my brain just simply blocks out one eye. So I just look out at one. Jesus talked about this. He said, and we're in Matthew 6, actually. Um, we're just going to go at verse 21. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore, and this has got to be the saddest state of Christianity I know of, if therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? And I think that has permeated the church of America, is that what is supposed to be light is dark. And we talked about that the other day. Why? Because we're not singly set. Otherwise, so much appreciated Andy's discussion about that yesterday to you. And I, I just concur with that 100%. Keep that eye on the Lord Jesus. If your peripheral vision catches a lady, that's fine. Or if it catches a uh, mission work, that's okay. But just keep your eyes set on the Lord. Because if you don't, you start seeing things that aren't really real. And guess what? The devil starts working. The eye if your body, eye is single, your whole body is full of light. We want to go to Romans 13. 
and, and we could just go into a lot of discussion and a lot of concerns I have. And, and you know, when, when, when I talk about my eyes like that, I don't know if you remember this or not, but you remember when I talked about duplicity, dual, two things, that's it. Because the devil says, hey, that's okay if you're in a church, you can, you can still uh, have living immorality. It don't matter. Yes, it does. No, 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 it don't matter. Let's just be friends. And, and a whole host of other stuff that affects you young people. And I'm telling you, it's a call to spiritual discernment and Holy Ghost discernment. You must know that. sharing experience. This happened not so many weeks ago. And this is about the situation, the case we've been working with back home that we've mentioned several times. We were over there and another brother or two was there and, and there was a um, it was a bad time. I just want to be careful and sort of discreet about this but I'm just telling you it was really a bad time. Um, it was it was demonic, it was violent, and and it was just rough. And I'm just going to tell you, it brings the root core of your beliefs right down to where do I believe or do I not? It brings it right there. And and we were trying to deal with this situation and and. And when I say the demon talks, what I'm saying is it comes out of the voice of the person. It's the person's voice, but it's a whole different type of a personality. It's very vile. It's very evil. And and the, the only point I want to make out of this is is we were just there trying to take care of this situation and deal with it. And and the voice said, I hate that light that's around you. We're going to extinguish that light. We're going to put it out. I hate that light. And the brother and I looked at each other and went, wow. Wow. Romans 13, verse 12, verse 11 actually. And that knowing the time that it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness and in chambering and wantonness and so on and so on, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. One other little point I want to leave with you, and this is, Becky was trying to refresh my memory on this last night. And we'll be closing here shortly, Keith. I hate talking about this stuff, but it's just too real. Sometimes you learn a lot from the enemy. Becky read somewhere through some information we had of an ex black witch who was sharing. And he said, you can always tell the Christians because they got this glow around them. 
But he said, you can still have some effect on them. But he said, there's others who, like, literally have fire coming out of them. And he says, those you know that you can't get to. He said, those, listen to me. Why don't you listen to me? He said, those are the praying Christians. This is real. This is so real. And as I conclude, and I didn't get to Ephesians 6, and that's okay, um, but I just want you to... Well, I'll just, I'll just share this about Ephesians 6. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against powers and principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. That's why we need the Holy Spirit because He is a discerner of spiritual things. My flesh is not. My eyes aren't and my ears aren't. But He is. He understands spiritual things because He is here and He is also up there. So it is absolutely essential that we have Him here to help us to discern. Now what I want to get to it in Ephesians 6 is there's this whole list of, of spiritual warfare. And, and I've heard sermons and I've appreciated sermons, but I've never ever preached from there. Maybe that's why I'm not this morning. Because I'll just be real honest with you, it gets a little bit confusing to me. I'm just being real open with you. It's like, well, well this part goes to that part of the body, and how does that affect that? And, and before long it becomes this great big theological thing that don't make practical sense to me. I want to give you Ephesians 6 in a nutshell as Larry Bauer sees it. It talks about all those different things. And you can know what they are, faith and salvation, so on, so on, so on. Here's my nutshell conclusion. The children of Israel did not enter into the promised land because of unbelief. And if I was to put that whole thing in a nutshell, it's just simply this. We have got to wrap ourselves in belief of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He is capable of doing. If I don't believe that, all the armor in the whole wide world is not going to do a speck of good. And just one little point I want to make. And this is, goes way back from my father-in-law, and I understand it more and more as I get older. That's that revelation thing. I know that faith is the victory. I know that says that, that, that the Bible shares that. I can't even quote the whole thing, but, but that's what it says. Faith is, is the victory. Maybe the rest of you can quote that. I want to encourage you, children. It's not about faith or even how much faith. we. I've heard so many discussions recently about, yeah, my faith, it's it's growing. i got a lot of faith. Or, or I just feel like I don't have any faith. I just, I just don't feel like I hardly have any at all. I want to tell you something. It's not about the quantity of faith that you have. It's what you have faith in. We can so easily, and this is my father-in-law's quote, we can so easily develop faith in our faith. And we think our faith is going to save us. Our faith is not going to save us. 
Jesus Christ is going to save us. He is the one that rose from the dead, and He is the one that destroyed the devil. May you be blessed with that power of the resurrection. God bless you.